Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. All right, today we get to hear from Sister Bethany Madonna. Sister Bethany Madonna is the vocations director for the Sisters of Life. So she entered the Sisters of Life in about 2007. She She went to the University of Central Florida prior to that. After graduation, she began working in the Respect Life office for the Diocese of Orlando before joining her religious community. So she made her final vows in 2015. If you know about this amazing, sweet, fiery, redheaded little sister here of the Sisters of Life, you are in for a treat. Sister Bethany Madonna has been the keynote speaker at some of the most major conferences all around the country. If you have been to some of the Sikh conferences by Focus, then you're going to be very familiar with her because she does work a lot with them. We have a really fantastically honest and practical conversation about life and vocation, Christ's call in our life to answer it. This would be helpful for you if you are looking at any different vocation, you know, religious life, married life, whatever that might be. She gives so much good information. She's got some great stories about her life working and living as a sister of life in New York and kind of the experiences there that she's had outside of some Planned Parenthoods, just in the life movement. And then she also talks a lot about, talks to us women about how we can better uphold our dignity. And it was just wonderful. It's so good talking to this woman. She's just so fantastic and loving and kind. You're not going to be disappointed. I promise you. I'm going to wrap up because you need to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, Please listen and enjoy Sister Bethany Madonna. All right, here we are with Sister Bethany Madonna. Sister Bethany, how you doing? I'm doing really well, Leah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm how about so, yourself? I am, well, I am great. I am great. I am still pregnant. Still <laughs> pregnant. We're at, as of now, as recording this podcast, we're at 33 weeks. Ooh. So as we were mentioning oh. before... The podcast started. It's the point when the glow's gone and <laughs> you're just you're just over the whole thing and you just want to hold your baby. So other than that, I do feel great and the baby's doing great and we're so happy to have you on the podcast. There's so many things that we can talk about, but let's just start kind of in the beginning. So you are the vocations director for the Sisters of Life. Now the Sisters of Life have kind of now become pretty well known in terms of, you know, 
vocations and sisters in general. Can you kind of tell us like a little bit about the Sisters of Life and kind of what you do in your role as vocations director? Sure. So we are a young community in the church. We were founded in 1991 by the Cardinal Archbishop of New York at the time, Cardinal John O'Connor, who was 70 years old and had a lot on his plate, but knew that the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to raise up a community of women religious who would take a fourth vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of human life, who would lay down their lives that others might have life. So in addition to the three traditional vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, we vow to protect and enhance human life, which is our charism. So every religious community has a charism, which is a particular gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit looks over the bent world and sees a need and breathes forth this gift as a response of love and power, really. And so, yeah, seeing this irreverence for the human person at every turn and every stage of life, this was a need that needed to be met. And so we were founded and our postulates are pretty varied, but we take care of women who are pregnant and vulnerable to abortion, tempted often with appointments scheduled when they come to us. It's very beautiful to see their courage in the face of uh, so much pressure and fear and to see the Lord provide. We have a house in Manhattan where we take some of these women in to live with us through their pregnancy and then for about six to eight months after the baby's born, which is a really precious and sacred time to kind of model and foster family life for them and to be with them at this vulnerable, fragile time and to watch them bloom, to see really their hearts unfold in the assurance and the love of God and his providence as a father. So that's a treasure. And then we have thousands of coworkers of life, men and women who have come forward and basically have a share in this desire to serve these women and love them. And so they offer spiritual support, emotional support, practical supports, financial. It's beautiful to see us have the capacity to act as almost a bridge between the desire to love and serve and the needs that these women do have and to see those met only in ways the Lord can orchestrate. It's very powerful to see what he he has in mind. Then we have a retreat house in Stanford, Connecticut, where we have retreats every weekend, basically, to give people a sense of spiritual renewal, you know, and the new life that Christ won for us and his mercy and his healing and his, his spirit. And so being able to bring people in out of the rain and let them heal and be restored and strengthened and to, on the journey. And then we walk with men and women who are suffering because of abortion and after abortion because it's a wound that often isolates and makes you feel unforgivable and lovable. And so we have noticed how the Lord really allows us to extend his arms of mercy and bring them home after feeling far and lost and unlovable in so many ways. And we see literally the resurrection. People rise from the dead and experience a joy and a hope that is deeper than the wound. And that's a treasure and a privilege. And then our our latest apostolate, the newest one that we have is to college students, actually, where we out in Denver, our sisters on five college campuses, kind of working alongside focused missionaries for the most part, but on secular campuses, walking with women, meeting with women, helping to encourage them in prayer, to root them in their identity and to let them live from that place. So that's who the Sisters of Life are, what we do. But really, the first and primary apostolate really is we're contemplative active. So everything stems from our union with Jesus and adoring Him, loving Him, receiving Him, making room for His Word, bearing Him to others, as trying to imitate Blessed Mother as she was at, at the uh, visitation. So as vocation instructor, I get to have the privilege and the joy of walking with those who feel called by the Lord to open their hearts to the possibility of being consecrated to Him totally as His spouse, to spiritually mother those entrusted to their care, and within this charism in this very particular and unique way of being His. That was a long answer. (laughs) It was a good answer. It was a really good answer. I love hearing you talk, which is like anybody who's ever heard you give a talk at maybe a seat conference or, or a variety of different ways. They're just going to still wait. There's probably like an awkward pause because they're like, no, 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 don't, <laughs> don't stop talking, sister. Just keep going. <laughs> so let me ask you. So in terms of like, there's a lot of questions, I think, on mm-hmm. young women's hearts of like, maybe what if I just gave 
a religious vocation of thought. Like a lot of times today, most people don't. And so for those that might though, and I think in particular listeners to this podcast would, I would imagine possibly me maybe a little bit more <laughs> open to that. But like, like, let me get down to some practicals really quick. Yeah. I have a lot of questions, but like, can you tell me for our listeners, like, what is your typical day? You wake up at what time? And then what do you do all day? What time do you go to bed? Like, just give me like a quick typical day for you. For me personally, I can share that. And then for us as a community, I'll share that. Every sister of life has the same amount or time of prayer, which is protected and essential because everything stems from that. So we rise at five in the morning. By 5.30, we're in the chapel where we pray Office of Readings and Morning Prayer, the Divine Office. After that is a 30-minute meditation and then the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So the day has a solid foundation rooted in Jesus. Then we have breakfast in common. We follow uh, the tradition, which is monastic, to have two meals in silence and one meal that is talking. So the two meals in silence, usually we have a, we're listening to a conference or uh, a sister's reading. So St. Augustine in his rule talks about letting your mind be nourished as your body is being nourished. So it's a way that we all kind of are continually growing together. Then we enter into whatever our apostolate is. So as I mentioned before, preparing for a retreat, going to doctor's appointment with a pregnant woman, you know, taking phone calls on those in crisis. For myself, that's where I, the morning is typically spent with like desk work, you know, responding to emails and preparing for evangelization trips, writing talks, that sort of thing. If for those in formation, it might be classes, it might be a time to do different duties around the house, preparation of the meals, whatever it is, practicals. Then midday we break and we have a Eucharistic holy hour of adoration where we're able to be, yeah, in front of the Lord, bring to him all of all of those whom we're serving, all of our desires, just have that time of intimacy together. And then we pray midday prayer and then lunch. And lunch is talking. So just being able to like share uh, about the day or have a, yeah, whatever conversation comes up, be able to share about the feast of that day or the saints of that day or whatever's on our hearts. And then after that is typically a time of personal recreation. So going for a run or taking a walk with some sisters, instruments, games, reading. So there's about an hour of personal recreation and then back to whatever the apostolate is. So in the afternoon, I typically have phone calls and again, depending on the day, whatever's going on. And then in the evening, we come back to the chapel for rosary and vespers, evening prayer, and then we have dinner together. And then after dinner is a time of recreation that is communal. So our sisters come together and again, it's a time to share joys and sorrows, which is something our founder always loved because families share their hearts, joys and sorrows together. The time to play a game. It's a time um, to yeah, share stories from the mission to enjoy one another's company, really. And then after that comes some for some of us more time in the apostolate in the evening. So again, I have phone calls. Our sisters who are serving would check in with any women who are in need at that point. And then Compline is at 8.15. And then we have lights out uh, at 10 p.m. and the day starts again. That's typical day, but what's kind of funny is there's very rarely, yeah, a typical day. So you, there are so many, it's kind of like the life of a mother where you could say, what do you do on a typical day? And it's like, what do I do on a typical day? (laughs) There's just, it's like if someone is, there's so many variables. So there are many adventures where we might be picking up a woman from an abusive situation and driving her somewhere. We might be somebody just went into labor. So everything drops. And we're off with packed bags to the hospital, you know. So, yeah, an unexpected visitor comes to the door and needs attention in a way that was unforeseen. And so it really, you don't know if a meeting is going to last 45 minutes with a woman who's pregnant or six hours. We've had that where she might need to just be there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we just live the day together. So I often think, yeah, it's a call to motherhood, spiritual motherhood, but that element of being incredibly flexible and open and receptive and responsive and attentive is all there, whatever God's asking of you. Absolutely. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this. You might. I don't know. (laughs) So many years ago, before I was married, clearly. Uh, Yes. 
I was discerning the religious life and I was discerning with you all, the sisters of life. Yes. It's crazy, right? I remember you coming on a retreat. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's so do. crazy. That was one of my favorite. It was, it was wrapping up towards the end. I was discerning with talking with you guys for quite a bit and also with another group of sisters, the missionaries of charity. And I was going back and forth and going back and forth and just all of those crazy, crazy time where you're just not sure. And, you know, you're just, uh, oh my gosh, I was so, uh, I was so silly, I think, sometimes in terms of like, so scared that God wouldn't answer me in this prayer of vocation, which is just the silliest thing. But however, that's okay. But I went and I spent some time with you all there up in New York. And it was so wonderful. So, so wonderful. And I remember, I remember you very, very much. And I remember especially when we went and you took me and the rest of the girls that came to spend that weekend with you, I think is a weekend or a week. I'm not sure. But anyways, you had taken us into the city, into New York City, and you had taken all of us so that we could pray outside of one of the abortion mills, outside of one of the Planned Parenthood locations there in yes. Manhattan. And I remember just, we were just quiet and praying and that's what we were doing. But you had gotten involved in some conversations with people that were coming in or coming out. It was very peaceful, but you were, I was watching you listen to them and really like listen with your heart, not just with your ears and not, you know, you were just, you were listening to them. And I remember, I remember looking at you and this is so crazy that I'm telling you this story now because I've, I've <laughs> never shared this with you prior, but I remember watching you engage with this person outside of the gates of Planned Parenthood. And it was a peaceful conversation. However, you know, two opposing views that were going on there. And you were listening and your, your heart was listening. Like, like your face was listening. Your eyes were listening. And I remember seeing that and just, I began praying like, Lord, allow me to listen to you. <laughs> like at least I'm witnessing Sister Bethany, you know, listen to this woman and it was so, for me, it was something, it was a gift that you gave me as in your role and in your vocation of you just living out your vocation, how Christ has called you and loves you and, and you love back. That helped me kind of open that up. And it was literally the next few hours after that, we left the Planned Parenthood and you took, you and the rest of the sisters, we all got in the vans and we went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And we went to the St. Patrick's Cathedral and we went down into the crypt, which yes. is like such a treat <laughs> that does you, like, like you don't get to do that. That's like, that's like one of those moments like that you can put up there. Like if you're in Rome and they're like, Oh, would you like to meet the Holy Father? And you're like, <laughs> um, yes, yes, I would. I've been in St. Patrick's Cathedral dozens and dozens of times. I used to live in New York. And what doesn't matter, like, like you just can't go down in that crypt unless you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So, <laughs> so we got to, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And we got to go down there because obviously the founders of the Sisters of Life is buried underneath yes. there, correct? Cardinal O'Connor. Mm -hmm. And as well as my holy crush, Fulton Sheen. Yes. So Fulton Sheen is right there too. It's beautiful. <laughs> he is. I have a very holy crush on him. It's very holy because he's, <laughs> he's dead and he's a priest. But I just, I, I just, I love him so much. But it was actually there in that time of prayer and being able to do that. And then after I got to go down into the crypt and I had some really great moments that were incredibly profound for my own personal life and for the work that I'm doing now, I went back up and I knelt down in front of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And in that time of prayer, and I was reflecting on the day and looking at how you prayed with and listened to all of the people that were coming into that Planned Parenthood for their appointments for abortion that day. I was praying for that same openness to Christ. Like, Lord, am I at least able to, to listen to you the way that I saw Sister Bethany listen to to someone else that that didn't agree with the pro-life view, you know, am I open enough to you, Lord, to mm -hmm. 
to listen to whatever you have to tell me, even if it's something that I'm not ready for, or I don't feel like I understand. And it was just such a beautiful moment. It was actually in that prayer that I, I literally heard the words on my heart that Christ was calling me to marriage. Ah, beautiful, Leah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was all, of course, never f- anybody who under who anybody who understands vocation understands that process that can go on for sometimes yes. years and years. You'll never forget that moment when you really do believe I've received my call and I received confirmation of the direction to go. Of course, it's not like, you know, Jesus or, or Mary was giving me a picture of Ricky and being like, Hey, <laughs> go find him. <laughs> you know, like it's some type of missing person, but it Here was, I mean, great. And I think we would wish that, but it, it was just confirmation of like the Lord being so good and generous and faithful to me and allowing me to kind of lean in, lean into his sacred heart to like, listen. And he responded at that point at that time. So the sisters of life are very near and dear to me because it was God used you and, and the sisters to teach me many, many things. And it was also where I was able to experience that confirmation and that call to the vocation that Christ was calling me to. And so I just think it's wonderful for anyone to take the time to just leave the door open, especially if you're not a hundred percent sure. And even if you are like, have you ever had the chance to even ask, like, do you ask God, like, what do you want for me? I mean, when you have young women who contact you, email or phone calls, you know, do you see this? Like, what do you see in like, um, are there any common denominators you see in the women who are calling you about vocation and that curious personality that one has to have of, of like, what if God is calling me to be a sister? Yeah. I just wonder like, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, yeah. Go, go ahead, sister. Yeah. It's a marvel to me. I've heard, you know, hundreds of stories at this point. And I just, it makes you love God more because you realize how particular he is with each soul, how well known we are, how he uses such creative, tender, and uh, sometimes startling means to awaken us to not only his presence, but his love and his mercy and his eagerness to be with us and to really give us a joy in whatever he's calling us, in whatever way he's inviting us to love. So the women who contact me, would I, if I were to say a common denominator, I'm always so moved. Every woman I talk to is open to the Lord and asking, yeah, I want to do his will. I want to say yes. I want to be a gift. I want my life to be a gift. I want to, yeah, I want to give of my, the love of my heart in a unique way. So I think that openness and desire is probably the most beautiful part of listening to these conversations, I would say what you're, I just want to echo you just being able to ask the question like, Lord, have I ever opened myself up and asked, what do you desire for me? How did you make me to love? I think looking into the desires of our hearts are really important. I think sometimes we can get this strange misconception that like, whatever I desire, perhaps God doesn't want that for me, (laughs) you know, or like, I will have to sacrifice that. Or I don't know, there can be a fear in looking at the desires of my heart. God gave us our desires. He wants to see them fulfilled. And sometimes he fulfills them in a way beyond what I expected or imagined. So I would say the first part is to, yeah, open one's heart. And yeah, this desire to be spouse, this desire to be mother, to be able to look at that and say, Jesus, I recognize this in my heart. I place it before you. How do you desire to fulfill it? How will you bring it to fruition? How will you grant me the gift of participating in creating life and nurturing it as mother and being loved and loving as spouse? How do you see that being fulfilled? So what you said too about coming on a come and see, but also being open, you knew in your heart, Leah, that you had those two desires and you were like, what are you doing, Jesus? And drawing me closer to you, yes, in intimacy. And that is a given. I mean, you, Jesus is first for you, even now as a married woman. But how he asked you and called you to holiness, yeah, was through this vocation, which is a call. So I think, too, the motivation of discerning religious life is important. It should be something God places on your heart, you know, and not something done because of sometimes guilt, I think. Like, oh, I should, 
I have to do this or like, I, or I really should, you know, or a motivation of pressure or there's other motivations like, is this the best thing I can do with my life? The holiest? If so, I want to choose it, you know? So there can be some interesting motivations, but I would say literally the first step would be really delving into prayer, at least let's say 20 minutes a day of prayer where you're with the Lord, just beginning to dispose your heart to hearing his voice, to sharing your own desires. That's key that you have access to them and yeah, consider them and recognize how important they are to him. Well, if you like fashion, gourmet food, and your faith, you need to know that I am leading a Theology of Beauty pilgrimage to Italy this July 2018 with Father Leo Paddlinghug, the famous cooking priest. We'll be heading out there July 7th through the 16th, and there are uh, there are still a few seats available, but I can't guarantee how long they're going to last, so you want to book it now. We will be heading up some amazing cities such as Milan, Turin, Venice, and of course, Roma. A pilgrimage is so much more than a vacation. It's really a time to unplug and reconnect to your faith and the people around you. It's a wonderful experience. You can find out every detail and the itinerary at my website, leadero.com slash pilgrimage. Grab your spot now before it sells out and I'll see you in Italy. I love something that you just, you had said, you said, asking Jesus the question of how did you make me to love? Yes. That is, I think that's, that hit home for me. I think that is key. That's a key question that we don't ask ourselves as women enough. How did you make me to love? And talking, I mean, obviously like we're talking right now about like, you know, women just hopefully being open or interested in religious life or just Interest, like, I don't know. I take it back. I think it's more that we need to be interested in our vocation, whatever that mm, is. Yes. It's not interested in a particular path. It's are you interested in loving the way Christ has called and made you to love? And if that is your interest, if that is something that you want to pursue, then it's possible that you would look at different options. It's also very possible that God will be very clear, very quickly and be like, I am calling you to motherhood. I am calling you to the physical motherhood. I'm calling you to marriage. I'm calling you to this. And I'm sure as you can attest completely too, we all know once we're in our vocation, working it out, living it out, (laughs) that it is also what awaits you is, yes, this great confirmation of, yes, Christ is, is maybe has called you to marriage or Christ has called you to the religious life. But when, when the call's there and when you answer the call, what awaits you when you answer that call is also, is also a cross. Mm. And it's that cross that you pick up in that vocation that's beautiful and salvific and, and wonderful, but it's also something too, because I think sometimes we have this idea of like, and people do it all the time. They'll, you know, young people will do it all the time when it comes to like marriage. They want to be married so bad and they have this ideal image that marriage is amazing and it's flowers every day <laughs> and candles and dinner. And you're just going to sit with your husband like on this beautiful area and watch the sunset and no problems and you'll never have an issue about your budget or who spent too much money on what and you know and then that's just on like on the married side and i'm sure like there's a there's an idea of like vocation of religious life where you're like i'm going to be around the most holy women in the whole world and we're all going to love each other and get along and no one's going to annoy anybody there will be no loud eaters at lunch <laughs> and we're all going to have the most beautiful voices when we sing and everything's going to be great. I mean, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure I'm sure that's just not the case just because we're human, right? Yeah. So I think that is something wait, you're, you're hitting on something beautiful because I don't think our culture encourages us, first of all, to sacrifice at all. So anything that it makes a demand on me is like a threat <laughs> somehow. So but recognizing that love, giving of myself Willing the good of another often demands that that I sacrifice whatever my what I wanted, what I thought, what I am attached to, 
that has to, some of that is, is just selfishness. So vocation, whatever you're called to, yeah, what comes to the surface too is also, I, I do have to look at my weaknesses and face-to-face and I do have to accept mercy and I do have to say, okay, this is going to require, um, yeah, truly a dying to self, but not for its own sake, but for a freedom, a greater freedom to live in love and to become full, more fully who I am. You know, in, you know, John Paul II said, man finds himself in the sincere gift of self. How do we find ourselves in that by, by losing our lives, so to speak? As Jesus said, whoever loses his life finds it. So when I'm attached and kind of like, and, you know, inverted and uh, need my way and what I want, you know, that is, that's going to be a wound in, in any vocation because vocation requires being other-centered and being, yeah, being an imitator of the one who's shown me the way of how to live and how to love and how to, as you said, pick up my cross and follow versus some rejection of that, some rejection of what love truly is and what it requires to be authentic and real. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. I always, I always imagine when I, when I think of marriage, and I think the same thing of religious life, almost more so in a visual sense, because you actually see the women lay down, you know, uh-huh. on the floor before the altar in the shape of a cross. And it's just so powerful. But I always think of, you know, those moments when like at a wedding or at final vows for a sister that it's like you're walking up with your own personal cross that you've had, you know, in life. You walk up to that altar and you lay it down for Christ. And then he hands you back one that's bigger and heavier. And there's no way you could carry it alone, which is why for the married woman, she has her spouse and Christ, three people to carry that together. And that's why the sister is given a heavier cross because it's her and her spouse, Christ, who will carry it together. And it's, uh, it's really powerful. I think when we can kind of remember that, you know, Easter didn't happen. The resurrection didn't happen unless you had good Friday first, right? Our call in life to love, as you had said, does involve the cross and rightly so, because it does make us better. I think too, it's like, we almost need it to be able to experience the joy, the joys unforeseen. Like I just think even in, yeah, in religious life, I think when I was walking towards it, yeah, all I saw was the cross. It was like, wow, Jesus, I must love you something awful to be able to give up all these wonderful things for you, you know, and then crossing the threshold. And it's like recognizing, oh, wow, what I'm receiving is so much greater than what I perceived I was losing somehow. Like I'm receiving something even greater than what I could have ever expected. And I think the same is true. You know, when in marriage, like talking to people, like when you have a child, you can't believe you can love another person like this. I mean, it's like, you can't even believe that your heart has come outside and now walks among you, you know, like this little person entrusted to you. Yeah. For eternity, but the love, yeah, the love of the loving gaze of a mother with a child in her arms, you know, and just recognizing these unforeseen gifts of participating in the love of God that is beyond me. I'm not capable of it. I'm not, it's not something I can conjure or attain on my own, but it's like this share. It's yeah, pure gift. And the treasure of that kind of loving invitation that's been responded to as a yes and the fullness that comes from that. Mm. So about that, about that pure gift and the call that is on all of our hearts to love the way Christ has called us and made us to love. What about you, Sister Bethany? I mean, how like for you personally, every single person is different. There's not going to be one vocation story that's exactly the same, right? Because we're all unique and unrepeatable. But for (laughs) you, what about for you though? Like how did God talk to you though? And how did you know that you were, that this was how God has made you to love? You know, I, I think I had my wedding plan by the age of five with sketches <laughs> at 12, just so that I could get some things underway, like colors and flowers, just so that it, that would be out of the way by the time it came. What colors did yeah. you choose? Just for the, I, I just <laughs> Roses have to know. And lilies for Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Okay, that right um, there is a big sign that maybe you're supposed to be a sister if, if you're <laughs> if you're five. And I'm like, I want lilies for the Blessed Mother of St. Joseph. Okay, people, that could be your sign that you're called to be a sister. <laughs> yeah, I had the kids' names picked out. You know, Peter, James, John, Paul, Thomas, Philip, oh. 
press all of you, Linus. Like, things were in order. <laughs> but it was only later. Yeah, I was a, a senior in high school. It was my first. I grew up in a Catholic family. But yeah, this personal relationship with Jesus came to me. And as a senior in high school, I remember being in adoration and having a sense of his love. And it was overwhelming. And his knowledge of me and the fact that I was speaking in my heart and I was being heard and he was responding. And this is when it kind of came, the question bubbled up, you know, almost in a way beyond me where it was like, what do you desire for me? Like, yeah, how did you make my heart to love? Like, what do you want, Jesus? Whatever it is, I'll do it, you know, thinking, you know, <laughs> not knowing what it was. And I felt this sense come over, you know, how a thought crosses your mind. It was like a thought crossing my heart. It was like, consider being mine. And that, I did not know what to make of that. I had not seen religious life. You know, you've got Sister Act and The Sound of Music to kind of base your understanding of religious life. And <laughs> Those are just so culture. accurate, too. <laughs> oh, and at the, end of, at the end of Sound of Music, she gets married at the end, has a huge family. Very confusing, okay? <laughs> talk about so, a vocational crisis. Talk about a crisis. <laughs> anyway, so I took that thought of the heart and I, like, you know, kept it, but just thought, yeah, I do want to come closer to you, Jesus, and grow closer to you. So I started dating. I opened myself up. I really, the vocation of marriage is always beautiful to me. Great example of my parents. Yeah, I so longed for it myself. But I got into college and yeah, my sophomore year of college, I had this real sense. The Lord took out away all my peace in dating, like like the rug pulled out from under me. And I got a very clear understanding that the Lord was asking me to listen and to pay attention that he had something for me. So I studied abroad in Italy to get away from everything normal and comfortable in my life and people and just so that I could have like a freshness. And when I got to my program in Italy, they had overbooked our dorms, secular liberal college I went with, but they'd overbooked our dorms and we were staying in a convent with religious sisters for my study abroad program. And the girls I'm with are not Catholic. So they're like crying. We have a 9 p.m. curfew. They're like, we're with nuns. And I wanted to laugh and cry with them just because it was so funny to me that during the summer where I'm taking like a season of singleness and a dating fast. The Lord put me in a convent with nuns with a 9 p.m. curfew. I mean, it was it was a scream. I just felt a little part of me felt guilty because I just I wanted to tell him like this is all my fault, everyone, just so that you all know. <laughs> but Jesus was actually playful. Like every fear I had, I had two major fears when I was discerning a religious vocation, and it was first this desire that you gave me for love, a romantic, passionate, total, faithful, fruitful, life-giving love that you gave to me. I know you gave to me. The thought of you not letting that be satisfied or taking it out of my heart, I don't know how you'd extract it. I really don't. That is frightening that that could go unfulfilled and I could be lonely and loveless and unfulfilled. Well, all of it, just the fear of that. The second one was motherhood, you know, because people are like, oh, sisters are spiritual mothers. There's a spiritual motherhood. And it's like, put that in parentheses. It's like spiritual motherhood. Like who made that up? What is that? Consolation prize behind door number one? I mean... I, that was so hard to grasp. I just was like, I cannot believe that I could be fulfilled as a mother, as a spiritual mother. So whatever that means. So I had to bring those to Jesus and, you know, that takes tearful holy hours. And I'd go to confession just to hear priest vocation stories. I mean, I also needed to go to confession, but I also wanted to hear <laughs> how they knew because they were as close as I could get to someone having experience to call the consecration. But yeah, Jesus cleared up both of those fears. And the first one was with a new invitation. Would you would you let me love you as spouse? And would you love me with this love you're saving for a husband? Would you love me with it? And secondly, would you be willing to love every child as if it were your own child of flesh and blood? Would you love in that way? Would you be willing to open and receive? And that was a hundredfold for me. That was beyond anything I could have ever asked for or imagined or dreamt up. It was very precious. It was so beyond anything I could have, you know, achieved or accomplished. It was just pure gift and undeserved. And yeah, I'm so grateful. Wow. So when, okay, I'm trying to try to say like, how did you find out about the Sisters of Life? So I went up to New York and was visit. The first time I met them was at a March for Life and I wasn't discerning at the time. So I, I can distinctly remember seeing them thinking 
what they did was wonderful, blessing them from afar and walking past quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> no eye contact. Oh, yeah, just avoid eye contact, but bless them. <laughs> we need more people like this, whoever they are, wherever they are. And then it was later, I was actually visiting another religious community. This is, this is also how the Lord plays with me. But, and they were like, have you ever heard of the Sisters of Life? I was like, I think I remember meeting them once. They're like, we're dropping you off tomorrow. I got dropped off, Leah. What? I got dropped off by another religious community <laughs> at the door. You want to talk about rejection? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Wait, are you saying that one religious group said, we don't want you. We're dropping you off at another like, convent? You know where you belong? Somewhere else. We're taking you. I got dropped off. Now I thank the sister who did it, but that's how it went down. Okay. Everyone thinks it's all, like you said, roses and flowers. Sometimes it's not. Required. Some sisters are going to not want you and drop you yeah, over the door or someone door else. In the face. Yeah, directly. But, you know, I really, I, I'm so grateful to that sister because she heard in my heart the charism of life. She heard it and she could recognize it. And, you know, in religious life, in religious communities, there isn't a competition. Like, literally, when I listen to women on the phone, I'm like, oh, my goodness, do I hear a Carmelite, you know? So it's, there's no, like, it's not recruiting. It's, I literally want to hear, what is Jesus doing in your soul? How has he made your heart? What is, how does he light you up? What is your passion? What is, what is his gift in you, with you, for you? And uh, that sister was so um, good to me. And even in the confusion of the moment where I'm like, what? Dropped off somewhere else? I don't even know these sisters. And then I think about the sister of life who received me and kind of took a risk by having a perfect stranger come to the door and took me in that day and let me, yeah, just experience the charism of life for the first time. And I remember, yeah, crying, just hearing about it because I just thought, wow, Lord, you're so beyond me. (laughs) And yeah. I love it. That's so good. Even if a sister dropped you off and didn't want you and gave you to somebody else, that's that's pretty fantastic, actually. No, just kidding. But you know, you know, going back to what you had said before about how like demands on us and our heart and on our life aren't threats, and you know, to just champion that statement that you made earlier, you know, there's no right to comfort in this uh-huh. life. You know, I think sometimes we think like that we should be, but there's no right. And especially if you're a Christian, I mean, you don't have a right to be comfortable. I mean, and if you're wanting the greatness of Christ in his life and in the, in, in the next life, well, then you've said goodbye to comfort a long time ago, right? (laughs) And some aspects. So like all of these little pieces that you've shared about your, how you came to hear that call in your heart were very uncomfortable. And threatening at times of like, I don't know where to go. I'm staying in a convent in Italy. And now I have opened up my heart and the sister's like, nope, you're not here. I'm going to drop you off someplace else. I mean, I can't imagine the <laughs> feeling of like almost feeling abandoned, uh, in, you know, in the beginning. But praise God. So, so today, today, we mentioned this in the very beginning, but, but today you're very active. You're very active in terms of not just obviously being a sister of life and the vocations director and all that God is doing there. But you're also active in the evangelization efforts that, that you uh, in particular gear towards women on their inherent dignity and role in the world and the church. And that's, I mean, as you might imagine, I am a big fan of that whole mission. Yeah. Mine as well. So, so about that, just diving in actually pretty quickly and pretty deep here because I want to get to this before our time's up. Why do you think there's such a loss or sense of loss of the dignity of women today? Why do women not recognize their own dignity, in a sense, hold the bar higher for themselves? Like, what is going on with what you have seen, with the work you've done, and the travel that you've had? Like, what are your thoughts on that? It would be hard to, you know, diagnose it as one, one thing. But I do feel even, yeah, the women that we serve, even those who come on retreat on our young women's retreats, just on the feminine genius, those on our college campuses, like at the end of the day, at the very bottom, it just seems like there's this not knowing myself to be loved, loved as I am, like loved from eternity, loved into being, that love is my 
identity that I have a that God is my father and that he willed me into existence and made a choice of me. It was one a choice made in complete love without any ulterior motive, but for my joy, for the fullness of my life that Jesus when we that he fought and died and gave his life and gives his life every day for me to be free and healed and to be filled with his love that the holy spirit was given to us and we have we are not orphans we have been given the spirit to abide in us to uh, empower us to protect and guard and console us to be our advocate so i feel like there's just something very very basic in being beloved daughter yeah. treasured for not for what i do not for what I produce, not for my appearance, not because of the gifts I have of nature, not because of what others think of me, because of what grades I get or the, the stats at work, whatever it is, who I'm dating, if I'm dating, you know, all of these things that kind of overwhelm um, in a culture to say, to define our worth, I think that has been become a real source of oppression for the heart of woman, and just a real experience that um, I'm not good as I am, you know, and I I'm not I'll never be actually. So the evil one loves to discourage, you know, he loves to claim our past, present, and future like you've never been, you aren't, and you're never gonna be. And it's like in one thought I can like lose my past, present, and future. But I feel like for women, yeah, knowing knowing Jesus, like knowing his love, knowing his closeness, his presence, the fact that he gives himself to me, that a God would know that I'm hungry for love. He himself is love and he becomes food is like the, the closer I draw to Jesus, um, it's almost like my, this is, he's the healer. So my vision can be repaired. How I see, how I see myself, how I see others, how I see my experiences, how I see my whole history. You know, I can hear, I can hear his words of truth speak, speak and cast out the lies that I have bought into that I, that have taken root, that have footholds and strongholds. You know, he can speak truth and in, into that and bring light into that, that place so that I can be free, you know, and then my heart that not only Am I loved? I'm capable of loving. I'm capable of loving with a love that's my own. You know, I love fingerprints because they're unique, but the love in our hearts, no one can love with the love that has been given to me, to you, Leah. Like if there's one who received that love. So to be confident in that and grateful, to be overwhelmed with gratitude that what an entrustment that I somehow reflect something of God that was imparted to me, chosen for me, given to me for my joy and for, for the joy of others, you know? So I think knowing oneself to be a gift, uh, cherished, beloved, redeemed, and awaited in heaven that, that this isn't it, this life is not it, uh, that whatever happens to me, um, I'm good and God is good. And he, ha he can always make good out of any bad choices, not only that I've made, but have been made towards me uh, when someone else abuses their freedom. So yeah, there's a lot to say there, but I, I do think we can get caught up in it and we can be, we need to guard ourselves against this, um, this culture that's, yeah, pornographic and um, inverted and materialistic and just makes takes all of our values and warps them and twists them into something, um, yeah, something that really creates in me, yeah, a paralysis. I'm, I'm not free. So to let Jesus bring freedom into any place where I feel bound, unacceptable, unlovable, unworthy, incapable. And that paralysis that you speak of that the culture offers, they tout it. They call it freedom. They call yeah. it independence, though. Yeah. They, the culture knows, the culture of death knows that we struggle as all people, in particular women and how women and how the culture attacks women. But it knows that women in particular struggle with this, with this identity and dignity. And when you forget who you are and whose you are, well, then you're going to look for something to fill um, that. And yes. culture of death wants to answer that call. But it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't give us freedom. It doesn't give us that sense of identity of who we are, that, that we are very good 
and then that's it. Like you don't have to do anything for God to love you. But that's not the message that the culture gives. And so sometimes when we lose this sense of identity, our sense of dignity, we sometimes turn towards the culture of death that does not offer us anything but pain. And in a sense, we almost allow the culture of death to be our spiritual director. Yeah. And it's the thing of it is, too, is that it's never like I'm never so far. I'm never too far. I'm never beyond the grasp of Jesus. I'm never beyond his reach. And so that I think, I don't think we understand what the sacrament of confession is. I don't know if we, if we realized what it was and what it was doing by way of like total cleansing and healing of my soul that God forgets that he strength gives us strength for me not to fall in that way. That he, he is the healer. He is the divine physician. He is the lover. He is the only one who can make us new. And that, I think, becoming new, that's part of what the whole Easter mystery is, like to be new, to be born again of the Spirit, to be able to, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, new things have come. And so being able to live in this new, and it can be every, <laughs> every day I start new. His mercy is new. So never letting this culture that, yeah, we've bought into it. I love St. Patrick because St. Patrick was enslaved in Ireland. He got his freedom, became a priest. Where did he go? Right back into the very place that enslaved him to free them. And I feel like that's, you know, he's the patron of this the month that we just had. But anyone in this culture that has been enslaved, when we're set free in Christ, what do we want to do? We want to go back and be like, no, this freedom that I've tasted, that I'm living, that I've received— I want this for others. I want others to be free. I want them to be set free and given. Amen. Amen. Just like that woman at the well, right? In John 4. What did she do? I mean, she went back to the town where everybody knew her. Everybody knew her sins. And she's like, hey, listen, I know a man. (laughs) I know a man who told me all about me. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? And Jesus went and stayed with them for two days, right? Like, I talk about, she's one of my favorite women in the Bible. I talk about her all the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but absolutely. And, and, yeah. and that's what it calls us to do. And it's funny, you were saying something and it struck me because you were saying how no one's ever too far gone you yeah. know, for Christ's mercy. Amen. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I feel like my whole life is embodied around that statement. And yet at the same time, this culture of death that offers all these things called liberation and freedom, you're actually never, never good enough for it. Mm. So on one side in the culture of death, you're never good enough. You always have to keep going, keep striving, make more money, get, you know, go, go up further in your career, go up further in your relationship, whatever it is. But on the other side in Christ, you're never too far gone. Mm. You're never too far gone. It's just interesting the, the extremes of what goes on. Because I got to tell you, I've, you're talking about like just the freedom that Christ gives us in new life. And you don't see that freedom on the faces of women as they're walking into Planned Parenthood. No. This great freedom, this great choice. You don't see it. You don't. It's heartbreaking. These are our sisters in Christ. And you don't see that. And like, I think about watching people as they walk out of the confessional. And they may have tears as well, <laughs> but those tears are not from being chained. Those tears are being broken from them and they're walking out in freedom. And there's just something beautiful about that. I mean, in the work that you do, Sister Bethany, is there anything in particular? Is there like a moment that always stands out to you in your work being being a sister of life that you saw something truly beautiful and unexpected that you could share with us? You know, one of our women just told this story where she was on one of our days of prayer and healing and she had suffered an abortion and yeah, was very tempted even to despair to take her own life. And she was watching television at like 3 a.m. and came across this really random channel, saw our sisters and a woman giving her testimony. And the next day she called underneath her desk at work and was like, I need hope and healing. And she came on our day of prayer and healing. And at the end of the day, after experiencing like this beautiful surge of the Lord's mercy and love, she was out on the sidewalk and she caught a cab and the sisters were with her talking to her. And when she got into the cab, the woman cab driver was like, 
what were you doing with those nuns? Like, you don't look like the kind of woman who would hang out with nuns. And out of great courage, this beautiful woman said to the cab driver, she said, they're helping me heal from my abortion. And the cab driver like slows down and goes, wow, well, I've had four. And they had this whole conversation about, I'm sorry, I'm getting choked up, but it's like, Jesus is a healer and he's real and he's alive and he knows where we are. And what was really funny was the cab before had been taken by someone. So she didn't even get into the right cab. She was frustrated getting into this cab. And Jesus knew that this woman would drive up and um, just how he's such a good shepherd. He knows where we are, you know, and he he's running after the little lost one that's stuck in the brambles. And he's so generous uh, to take this woman's wound being healed to bring healing to another person. So, yeah, I feel like just the graces of the redemption that they just continue on. And he lets us participate and be part of it. Oh, yeah. That's a really good one. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're both crying. That's good. (laughs) Praise be to God. Praise be to God for his goodness and his mercy. No one is too far gone. Kylie, that seems to be the the theme here. So sister, we're wrapping up. I really wish we weren't, to be honest with you. (laughs) I wish we could keep going on. And I know everyone listening is feeling the same way. So before we leave, if you could give a challenge to our listeners, anything that's on your heart, just challenge us in some way. And we would love to hear that from you. You know, the challenge is when I'm giving it to you, but I give it to myself. Greater trust, greater trust. I, um, it's one of my greatest, just to trust in his exceeding love for you. One of my sisters wrote a prayer called the litany of trust. And it's really truly a gift. It's been given. And I just really encourage if it's it's online, but to pray either a personal prayer of trust, greater trust, the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, I invite you. I welcome you, love of the Father and the Son, to penetrate the depths of my heart and to let me experience my own goodness, that I am beloved, that I am cherished, that you have good things for me. And uh, to grow in trust, which is something that we learn and something that we uh, continually place ourselves over and again into the hands of the one who made us. So, oh, It's beautiful. And we will definitely include all of that in the show notes. I know exactly what you're talking about, the litany of trust that was written by one of the Sisters of Life. And it's actually a prayer that I take with me on all of my speaking events. Wow. And I say myself personally, and then when given the opportunity, I share it with the crowds that I speak with and we share it and we pray it together. I have multiple copies on me, like on all of my little journals so that I don't forget it. That's how much I love this prayer. We will include that. I will include the link, but I'll also include the actual prayer in the show notes so that you could literally just pray this whenever you're done listening. And that is, we'll obviously have, link, we'll have links there too for the Sisters of Life and for those retreats, for the hope and healing as well, if that's something that fits you in your life and what you need. We want to make sure that you that you reach out to get that hope and healing. And the Sisters of Life are a great, great place to do that if you feel so called. So Sister Bethany, thank you so much. I mean, uh, I'm so I'm so thankful that you listened to Christ and you answered that call because of how you love us now. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for the work that you've done personally in my life. Yeah. That what Christ did in you and how he allowed me to see something in my sister in Christ that helped me see something within myself and in my relationship with Jesus is is like like you said, these are the things that remind us that of who we are, that we are so loved, um, and that love is our identity and love is our our vocation. So thank you. Just thank you, just say thank you. Thank you for your life and everything that you do for all of us and thank you for praying for us. You're welcome. And thank you, Leah. Thank you for your yes to your spouse and to your children, but also to being able to build up women at a time when there's such a great need for meeting that crying need. So thank you. Amen. We're all in it together. We yeah. we share in all of it together, no matter where we are, you know, changing a diaper, praying for a plan of parenthood, <laughs> forgiving ourselves or one or someone else in our life. It's all a part of it's all part of the body of Christ that we partake in together. It truly is. And yes. when we say yes in our little fiats throughout the day, we are helping everyone come together in that body of Christ. So 
Amen for that. Um, all right. Well, oh gosh, I'm like wiping so many tears away. This is so good. (laughs) It's so good. All right. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for listening to another, another episode of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We really appreciate your love and your support. And I haven't said this in a while, but I also wanted to just say a quick thank you to all my listeners. You guys are so kind and loving. And I really appreciate all of the, the time that you take, especially to go on iTunes to leave me five stars and a review. It's very helpful. And it's just, it's wonderful because it does help the podcast actually move up those silly little ranks so that more people can be inspired by the people that I get to talk to who are really doing something beautiful for God. So thank you. Thank you for, for your dedication and helping the podcast grow in that way. Very honored by that. And remember, whatever you do today, whatever you do and whomever you meet, make sure you do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you again. 